Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on resilience is resilience expert, coach, and keynote speaker, Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel. As Taryn Marie states, when I think about this idea resilience story, I thought about my own experience with that and what it felt like. And what it felt like for me was to walk around with this idea that we've got this imaginary piece of paper rolled up, and yet we're careful not to take it out and show it to anyone. And it says, people would think I was crazy if they knew. We don't get it out. We don't show anyone. And what it is for so many of us, it's our resilient story. Hey, hey there. It's great to be here. Happy human resolve. I am so delighted to be with you here today. Uh, Yeah, Dr. Taryn Marie, I have been studying resilience, what it means to be resilient in leadership and in life for two, count them, two decades. That's 20 years. I know I started when I was five. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, so now I'm considered uh, the number one foremost expert on resilience, wellness, and mental health. And I have a framework that I've developed now, having interviewed hundreds of people and collected thousands of pieces of data. And this is called the five practices of highly resilient people. Wonderful. So Taryn, you and I connected because you were so gracious and kind to contribute to my interview series, Rising Through Resilient, How to Be Resilient During Turbulent Times. What I found really quite captivating in the beginning was this idea of possibility this navigating that paradox between risk and opportunity. Can you speak more to that? I absolutely can. And I find the practice of possibility to be fascinating too. And so as I kind of think about the array of the five practices, right? We start from vulnerability, which in a way almost serves as a foundation or a cornerstone for all the practices. Then we go to productive perseverance, which is about the intelligent pursuit of a goal connection, which is about the intersectionality, if you will, of the connection with ourselves, trusting our gut, listening to our intuition, knowing our worth and value, and then how we sort of live at the intersectionality of our connection with ourselves and our connection with others. Then we get into gradiosity, which is 
about gratitude, being able to look on a challenge after some time and to see the good in it. And then also generosity. So it's gratitude and generosity smooshed together into gratiosity. And generosity is about a willingness to share our resilience stories generously so that others might benefit vicariously from our experience. And I know you're no stranger, Stavio, to the power of sharing resilient stories and, and how that uplifts people in your work. And then we get into possibility. And so what's fascinating is possibility in a way is sort of, if you know um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think a lot about possibility as being, you know, maybe our, uh, our most actualized practice. Because possibility is about being able to see, to your point, opportunities to have a vision for the future, to dream, to create, to bring things into existence, right? Manifestation is a word a lot of people are using that are not currently here or available in form today. And what happens in the practice of possibility, each of the practices has a, a paradox that we get to navigate, right? Vulnerability is about how do we navigate the, the paradox of being both strong and open, right? Um, possibilities you pointed out is the paradox that exists as we look at possibilities between risk and opportunity and and being able to balance you know how we think about and and experience those two things because as you know if we over index on the opportunity right we can miss or not account for maybe some significant risk and if we over index on the risk or the or the fear you know, we can rob ourselves of, of having those opportunities. And so possibility is very much about, it's very much about dreaming. It's very much about creating. It's about seeing um, opportunities uh, that don't yet exist today. It's about innovation, uh, vision. Um, and it's also about, it's about, not being mired in perfection. We're getting stuck in perfection and focusing instead of on perfection, focusing on progress. Yeah, yeah. I, I know in the piece you mentioned that you became first interested in resilience because your oldest son and this idea of that resilience is circular. Can you give us more context into that? Absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, having children, it, it, you know, it's a whole nother, it's like a whole nother resilience uh, layer. You and I were talking about uh, me working on my on my book manuscript, and I've got a couple of chapters in the back third of the book that are really each of the practices focuses on application, and then in the back portion of the book, I focus on a couple kind of specific things. And one of the chapters that I I, I don't know if it'll be in the final version, but I couldn't help but write about parenting because looking at parenting through resilience has been so pivotal for me. But where it all started, to your point, is I grew up in a household where we had a set of Encyclopedia Botanica on one, you know, side of the room. People, I, I love this. I tell the story. I'm, I'm like, you know, set of Encyclopedia. And people are like, yes, yes, we did too. Like, this is like a, a you know, this might be the, the the phenomenon that unites us all together is we all had a set of Encyclopedia Botanica from our grandparents 
you know, growing up. And so we, so we have this set of Encyclopedia Botanica, and then we have this giant dictionary, right? It's like so heavy, I can't even lift it. We called it the Arnold Schwarzenegger Dictionary at the time. If it existed today, or if, you know, my childhood existed, it'd probably be like The Rock or something, you know? And so I grew up with this idea that anything that I wanted to know about the world could be looked up, right? But not on a smartphone, <laughs> because those didn't exist yet. So it was in the encyclopedia or in the dictionary. And so to your point, I looked up the word resilience, because I was like, this seems like a really interesting concept. I want to understand more about it. And the definition felt super circular, you know, like resilience was to be resilient, right? And then you look up resilient and it's like to demonstrate resilience, you know, and it's like, okay, like there's something here. I could just feel it. I wanted to understand. But, but the more I looked into resilience at that time, there were so many different definitions. Um, the word was a proxy, still is a proxy for many different things. Does it mean perseverance? Does it mean grit? Does it mean um, fortitude? And, and so I really wanted to understand, like, what are the key behaviors? What are the key things we do when we face challenge that actually create um, a profound impact? That anytime we face challenge, we know that when we engage in one of the five practices, in one of those sets of, be of behavior, that we are on the path to creating a more positive and productive outcome. You also mentioned this great visual about carrying this piece of paper and on that piece of paper, it would be people would think I'm crazy if they knew. And I just, it's, it's, it's great. It's so wonderful. How did you even think of something like that? Or how has that activity, so to speak, um, affected your view on, on resilience in general? Yeah, gosh, I love that question. It's so, it's so good. You know, my work is really informed by by two things, right? My work is informed by the hundreds of people that I've interviewed and asking them to think of a significant challenge or challenges and how did they effectively address those moments. And then my work is also informed by my experience. You know, this is qualitative research that I've conducted. And what happens in qualitative research, as you know, because you've conducted so many of these interviews, is we are not only the, the interviewer and the researcher, we're also the tool, right? We're also the ones combing the interviews and trying to understand and make sense of what people are telling us. And so, you know, for me, when I thought about this, this concept, right, or this idea of what this can mean for all of us, I really wanted to be able to make an impact in a way that these practices feel accessible. And I wanted us to feel like, you know, when we face challenge, and you know this, it can feel so disempowering. It can feel like things are outside of our our control, you know? So I wanted to find a way to bring things back into our realm of control or our span of control in a way that when we have these inevitable moments of facing challenge, change, and complexity, we're able to say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know what I can do next. Not too many of us can claim that we coined a phrase, but I love the fact that you coined the vulnerability bias. 
Can you give us more information on, on that? Yeah, well, you know, as we, as we were saying, you know, my work is also informed by my experience, right? And so when, when I think about this idea of resilience story that you were asking about, I thought about my own experience with that and, and, what, it, and what it felt like. And what it felt like for me, you know, was to walk around with this idea that we've got this imaginary piece of paper rolled up perhaps in an imaginary pocket and we're carrying it around with us you know everywhere we go and yet we're careful not to take it out and show it to anyone you know it's like okay let me get my wallet but like no, let me not have that thing like slip out of my pocket right so I use this for my I use this for my TED talk, right? Um, and I pull it in my pocket, and I was like, ta-da! But it's like this piece of this piece of paper, right? And it says people would think I was crazy if they knew, right? And we all carry a piece. This is a piece of fabric, but we all carry a piece of paper around, you know. And we roll this up, and we put it in our pocket, and then we like don't get it out. We don't show anyone. Right. And so it was really informed by my experience of what it felt like to carry something around with me that was secretive. And what that was for me and what it is for so many of us is it's our resilient story or stories. And and what it means is so often we say we, we self edit and we say, I can't tell people that story. If I tell people that story, they're going to think, right, they're going to think I'm quote unquote crazy. And yet, while many of our resilient stories are the stories we most don't want to tell, they're the stories that most need to be told. Because typically they are at the essence of our humanity. They're at the essence of our formation. And these are fundamental experiences that we've, that we've had that have shaped us in profound ways and yet we keep them hidden you know because we're afraid of how people will respond right and then going to your question about the vulnerability bias this also came to me in part through my experience because what i found is the first practice of particularly resilient people highly resilient people is vulnerability is what anytime we face challenge change and complexity one thing that we can do or one be set of behaviors that we can engage in is vulnerability, you know, to allow people to know what's really going on for us so that they can support us, they can help us get information, they can help us get access to things, right? And so I thought, okay, well, this is great vulnerability, wonderful. And if we know vulnerability is good for us, right? Like eating our vegetables or drinking water, walking 10,000 steps a day. And not to mention Brene Brown told us that vulnerability is good for us, you know, in living a wholehearted life. So why are we all not running around living our most fabulous, vulnerable lives, right? What's the, what's the block? What's the obstacle or the chasm that's between, I know vulnerability is good for me and there is no way in heck I'm going to do that. Right. And so what then came out of my research was I was inquiring on, well, how did you do that? 
Or when people told me they wanted to be vulnerable, but they didn't, I asked them what choices or, or what decisions they made or what was going on for them that kept them from stepping into their vulnerability. Or as I like to say today, like staying in our vulnerability cage, right? And it's the vulnerability bias, right? And so this makes a lot of sense to me personally, and it makes a lot of sense you know, to the people that I interviewed and the people that I speak to, because this is the disconnect between I know vulnerability is good for me and I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know? I'll go to the gym tomorrow. right? I'll be vulnerable tomorrow, you know. And so what it tells us, what the vulnerability bias tells us is that if I share my resilience story, if I get this imaginary piece of paper out of my pocket, that's and, and tell you this story that when I allow myself to be truly known and seen, the three L's will occur. People won't like me, they won't love me, and they might leave. And most people are like, you know what? That sounds like a very bad idea. I'm just gonna keep this story in my pocket, right? And so what the vulnerability bias requires us to do is it requires us to have faith. It requires us to be courageous and brave because the only way to challenge that I found, maybe you found another way. Tell me, if, tell me if you have. The only way that I found to challenge the vulnerability bias is to challenge the vulnerability bias, is to take that step and be like, Oof, I'm going to tell this story. And then when it goes well to keep building on that budding vulnerability. Mm, wonderful. So I'm going to come back to really the essence of today's conversation. How do you define resilience? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. The definition that's come out of resilience with the work that I've conducted is really simple. And I love that. And what we know is that we get to demonstrate resilience in a variety of situations. Um, I oftentimes talk about challenge and I love the word challenge because a challenge can be a great thing. You know, a challenge can be like, we have like Instagram challenges, right? Like a challenge can be that new baby that we hoped for. A challenge can be an expanded scope of work. A challenge can be a cross country move, you know? And all of those things can, you know, they can be a positive thing, something we've hoped for and, and dreamed of. And depending on who the person is in the story, it can also be a thing that we don't feel so positive about, depending on, you know, what the circumstances are. So anytime we face challenge, whether that's, you know, objectively kind of positive or negative um, change, anytime we experience change, anytime we experience complexity and we're like, Oof, how am I going to navigate through this? Those are all opportunities that we can build our resilience. And so the definition of resilience is facing, you know, challenge, change, and complexity in a way that allows ourselves to be enhanced, not diminished. Period. And the period's important because resilience then for me and for the people that I work with becomes defined as much by what is contained in that definition as what is not contained in that definition. What you don't hear in that definition are things like quickly recover. You know, I've found in all of the people that I've interviewed that quickly recovering, quickly going back to work, quickly getting back into a relationship, that does not often 
connote resilience. You know, it doesn't mean what you're doing isn't resilient. It's just the faster we get back to something doesn't mean we've been more or less resilient. And the other piece of that is, you know, the sort of ingrained phrase that that tends to, you know, sort of come along with with resilience, which is bouncing back, you know, and I was just giving a, a keynote this morning for the hospital health system here in the in the state of Pennsylvania. And, you know, I had all these doctors and physicians and nurses in the room. And, and so many of us are familiar with this concept of neuroplasticity. You know, when I was talking to them, I was like, I'm pretty sure you all are good with the neuroplasticity, right? But it's like, how can we know about neuroplasticity and think that we're going to bounce back, right? Because what neuroplasticity tells us is that the neurons in our brain are constantly reorganizing, regrouping, and regenerating themselves to effectively, essentially mirror every experience that we have, right? And so with every interaction, with every experience, we are being changed on a molecular level, on a neurological level, on a cellular level. So, you know, we not going back, you know, we changed. And so rather than believing we have to go back to a prior state to be resilient, we get to bounce forward, you know? And that's a really important component of this definition because, you know, of all of this sort of like really, you know, the aggregate conversations, right? You know, people come to you and you kind of hear some, there's some similar topic areas that people are interested in. One of the things that people have come to me and just, experienced so much freedom and so much healing and so much like aha is oh i can be resilient and change i can be resilient and not go back to the way that i was in the piece there was a question i asked about resilience and courage do you see them as one and the same or do you see them as different I see them, how do I see them? I see them as the sun and the moon. Yeah, I, I see them as being separate and distinct entities and I see them interacting with each other and that the interplay of those things is, is really beautiful, right? Um, for me, courage is an entirely different entity than resilience right? Um, just like the sun is an entirely different entity than the moon. And yet, right, in order to be vulnerable and, and to challenge that vulnerability bias, it requires us to tap into our courage. In order for us to share our resilience stories generously, as in the practice of uh, gradiosity. It requires us to tap into our courage to generously share our stories broadly with others. Possibility requires that we tap into our courage, the courage to dream, the courage to envision, the courage to believe that there's something different and more and better than exists, you know, today. And what that also requires is that we to an extent embrace fear. You know, fear's gotten a really bad rap 
um, at least in our at least in our Western culture. You know, for a long time there was, you know, things like you know hashtag fearless and and these types of things. And you know, it's so interesting. I was reading Elizabeth Gilbert's book, uh, Big Magic, on creativity, and she talked about people who killed off their fear. In her observation, also killed off their creativity. Mm-hmm. That there's a connection or an interplay between those two things. And so, when we talk about courage, that's something we really value in our society. And yet, courage can't exist without the prerequisite of fear's presence. We cannot, by definition, be courageous if we don't first acknowledge and recognize our fear. Yeah. There was a question I asked, and I just loved your response about this idea of if something was impossible. And you said, has there ever never been a time when something wasn't impossible? Can you give us more information on that? Yeah. You know, I think what we believe to be possible or impossible is um, informed by our experience. You know, um, prior to the Wright brothers, you know, flying a plane in, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, there was a very strong belief. And, you know, I think we also know that we had some pioneers in flight in South America happening, you know, roughly the same time. Um, prior to the Wright brothers, you know, successfully piloting, piloting an aircraft, the vast majority of people didn't believe that flight for humans was possible. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if, if I told you 30 years ago, Savio, I will be able to send you a message that doesn't have any matter associated with it necessarily. Won't go through the mail. I'll type it on my device and then it's going to show up in your device. You just be like, wait, what? We call that email. We're like, stop sending me emails. It's way too many emails, you know? And so Albert Einstein said, there's two kinds of people. There's people that think that everything's a miracle and there's people that think nothing is. And when we dream, when we envision, when we engage in the possibility, in the practice of possibility, what we're also doing is we're, is we're pushing at the limitations of our experience that are of our mental limitations at the, even the edges of our comfort zone to say, well, what would happen if, you know, I, I pressed out a bit beyond that. And I think, you know, one of the things that's we, that we've found to be true is that, um, things that we thought were impossible, space travel, landing on the moon, you know, we have accomplished it as humans in a very short period of time, the last 100 years. So why would we start limiting ourselves now? So Taryn, what are your five steps that someone can take to be more resilient? I know you alluded to it in the beginning. I know you also mentioned the article about practicing what you preach, but what are your five steps? Yeah. Well, the, there's the five practices of particularly resilient people. And each of those practices, if you will, that I mentioned at the beginning, 
they are a series of behaviors that we can engage in. Um, you know, productive perseverance is the intelligent pursuit of a goal. It's knowing, you know, when to be gritty, right? When to persevere in the face of challenge. Um, and, and when in the face of challenge to recognize that perhaps there's diminishing returns and to pivot in a new direction, right? And so within each of these practices, vulnerability, productive perseverance, connection, gradiosity, and possibility, there's, you know, a, a definition, a, a series of behaviors, uh, different practices that we can engage in to explore this and to adopt, you know, more elements of this practice. But I don't typically think of them as like five steps, right? Because um, it's not sort of like, ah, I master vulnerability and then I master product. You know, it's kind of, it's it's more of a, um, a, a poo-poo platter of resilience, you know, if you will, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm gonna, maybe this behavior and vulnerability and this behavior and connection, right? And we we can do that. But when I think about the steps of creating more resilience, right? Because we're all resilient. When I think about the steps of creating more resilience, I think there's a couple of things that happen for us, right? One, for me, it's about recognizing that we have a choice, that we have a choice in our behavior. Viktor Frankl said, there's a space between stimulus and response. And in that space, we get to make a choice about our behavior, how we're going to respond. So the first thing, you know, that we get to do as humans, if we're not in this space yet, is to recognize that we have a choice about how we respond. And that's tremendously empowering. And then the next thing, so that's number one is choice. Number two is to recognize that we have a broader array of choices than we ever thought possible. When we experience moments of challenge, this gets our our sympathetic nervous system going, it's pumping adrenaline and cortisol and we're getting getting worried. And right away our brain tells us we've got three options, fight, flight, or freeze, you know? So if the first thing is choice, the second thing is to realize we've got more options than we thought. We can do more than fight, flight, or freeze. We can engage in the five practices. And the third thing is believing in ourselves, believing that we have the inherent capacity wherever we are in our lives, first to make a choice, second to realize we have more choices than we thought, and third to believe in ourselves enough to make a different choice. So Tarana, right now I want to transition to what I call brainstorming. I asked a question uh, in the piece, if you create a movement, and yours was really inspiring. It was about inspiring others uh, to create more resilient lives. And I just thought maybe you and I can talk about a minute or two on how we could possibly push that forward, that idea. Yeah, something that I've always felt about resilience, and I love that you asked this question, um, both in the piece and for us today, something I've always felt about resilience is that if I'm like the one shepherding resilience, then that's like one person at the helm of this. And so my goal has always been that when I connect with people, and that moment where resilience comes alive for me or comes alive for you, or we have that aha moment, whether it's, I don't have to bounce back, I can bounce forward or, you know, those types of things 
then we go from having this inspirational aha moment. And that moment, in my opinion, becomes a movement. But if it's only my movement, it's limited, right? So what feels important is that everyone that I interact with gets to make this movement their own or to create their own resilience movement, you know, however that looks like for them personally, and if they want to take it more, more broadly. And a movement that feels exciting and alive for me, especially when I think about some of the things that have come out around social comparison and, you know, the detriments of, of social media is getting to have the courage to share more vulnerability and more authenticity. And so this idea that I had was um, um, give vulnerability a dance, you know, um, in my head, it goes to that song, give peace a chance, you know, but it's like give vulnerability a dance. Yeah. And like, I know everyone likes to, you know, get dolled up and be on TikTok dancing around these days anyway, but it would be us in our most kind of vulnerable form, you know, or a vulnerable form where it's not perfect hair and perfect makeup and perfect abs, but like, here's me giving vulnerability a dance. Here's me honestly, here's me allowing myself to be seen and appreciated and known and understood and something like that taking off. Um, if you're interested in partnering and doing <laughs> Avio or anyone listening, let's make it happen. What comes to mind for me is, uh, so in coaching, a lot of it is really built upon the framework of visions, having this sort of vision of where you want to go, or where, who do you want to be? And it's interesting because I juxtapose that with my own story as a cancer survivor, interviewing oh, close to 175 cancer survivors myself and telling and retelling and understanding their stories is this idea that you have no other choice. It's like, it's life or death. It's not like, oh, I need to fix my mental health issues so that I can live a more happier life. It's almost like I'm at, I'm at my wit's end right now. So I don't know how that could be weaved into creating a movement such as this, but I think this idea of allowing people to see the best version of themselves and trying to find ways that they could maybe um, come closer to it or make contact with it, it's probably one step in the right direction. I love it. Yeah, wonderful. Love it. Well, Dr. Taryn Marie, please tell my audience where they can uh, find out more about you and your work. Sure, I'd be glad to. So we're, um, we've got a, a fairly large presence on Instagram, which is great. We do nearly daily posts there, share our podcast, Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. And the podcast is really about uh, allowing well-known people to tell their lesser well-known stories of resilience. So you can find us on Instagram, you can find our podcast, Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience, any place you get podcasts. Okay, and um, of course you can also uh, head on over to our website, which is resilience with a C dash uh, leadership.com. Wonderful. Well, Taryn, thank you so much. This was great. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for your loyalty and support this season. Please note, season four of my podcast will be launching in the spring of 2023. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, 
please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here Is How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.